Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. I'm here with the other part of Hacka, the Hacka blog, the uh, Hacka Facebook page, and also the Hacka Podcast. Mike Hackathorn, thanks for coming back on, bro. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here once again. Happy to be here. We're continuing our, uh, we've started these conversations on parables of Jesus. We don't know how long we're going to be doing this. Got some good feedback on the last parable that we looked at, the parable of the sower. And today we're going to be looking at three parables within one chapter in Luke chapter 15. The reason we're looking at three of them is because they're all associated with each other. So you have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son or the lost son or the two sons. I've heard it said many different ways. In your Bible, it will say the prodigal son. Uh, But we're going to have a look at that and um, discuss what these parables have to say to us. So it starts off, I'm not going to read it this time. You guys can read it because it's a full chapter. It's uh, 32 verses. But he starts out by introducing the fact that uh, there were tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And then both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then it goes on to say that he starts telling these parables. So what is your take on... We'll take a look at the first two, because they're shorter, the lost sheep and the lost coin. What is your view on on those? Yeah, so um, I think the to fully understand the three parables that Jesus launches into in Luke chapter 15, you first have to understand that first part where it says that the tax collectors and the sinners began to draw near to him. And then it says that the Pharisees began to grumble. The religious people began to grumble. And then Jesus launches into these three parables. So these, what you have to remember is context is as always is very important here. Jesus's three parables that he tells are in direct response to the attitude of the Pharisees. And we don't see that as much with the first two as we do with the last one. But to uh, to answer your question, with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, um, they, they're very simplistic. They're very straightforward. And it is my belief that Jesus uses those two parables to kind of set up the third parable. And when, when he talks about the lost sheep, he talks about uh, the, the shepherd leaving the 99 to go and find the one sheep. And, and basically what he's saying there is that the, the attitude of the shepherd is he's not, um, he's not satisfied with the 99. He wants to go and find the one. And in in John chapter 10, I believe it is, Jesus starts talking about, he starts describing himself as the true shepherd. Mm. And so what he's doing in this parable in Luke chapter 15 is he's showing you what that true shepherd looks like. The true shepherd is not uh, satisfied with just the 99 sheep. He wants the full 100 sheep. And then when he finds the lost sheep, he celebrates. And I'll let you elaborate a little more on that. Um, But it's the same thing with the parable of the lost coin. It seems that this person who lost the coin probably had many other coins. But for some reason, this coin was special. And it was was something that 
that attracted the attention of the person who lost it. And again, Jesus's point here is that the person is not satisfied with um, the, the other coins that they have in the house, but they want to find the one that they have lost. He's, he's stressing here the uniqueness of one person, of one individual. And that's what really bleeds through in these first two parables. You can't hammer that home enough. He's Jesus isn't just the savior of the world. He's the savior of you. Mm. He's the savior of me. He's an individual. He's a personal God. He genuinely is concerned and cares about each individual and each person. And that's what Jesus is trying to stress with these first two parables is it, it's 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 not just about the ones that are found but i have to find the one that is lost and that that was jesus's whole mentality in coming to the earth we've said it before and and i truly believe this if only one person had accepted the gospel of jesus christ jesus would have come and he would have died on the cross anyway i firmly believe that because of these two parables in particular that stress the importance of one individual person and so uh, with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you and, and we'll get your thoughts on, on, on the first two parables as well. Yeah, I think that's very important. I, I like that point that you made about how the gospel is for everybody, but it's for individuals. It's not, it's, he's a personal savior. That's why he asks us to have a personal relationship with him. It's not just about a God who's far off, but he has come and become personal to each and every one of us and is not satisfied. Uh, you know, when you go to church on a Sunday, it doesn't matter how many are, are in the building, God is not satisfied with just the ones that are in the building, but he is interested in those who are not there. Um, you know, he, he is constantly wanting to reach out to those who are lost, to the one, as you said, you know, the the nine coins as well. He's not satisfied with the nine coins that are there, the nine silver coins, but he's looking for the one that is missing because each person is important to him bible says that we were all created in the image of god and so we all are significant to him and that should have an impact on how we treat individuals we should treat every individual as if they matter because they matter yes <laughs> right even Absolutely. if we disagree even if we don't appreciate you know their viewpoints and what they're trying to do we should still treat them with respect and love because each person matters because they they are made in the image of God and they matter to God. Um, the other thing I wanted to yeah. show... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add real quick on that. Is, uh, and that's why Jesus was so harsh on the Pharisees uh, was because if you notice his encounter with other... His encounters with other people, he was not nearly as harsh. But with the Pharisees... It was because, first of all, they were blocking the purpose and the plan of God. And second of all, it was because of their attitude towards others. It was because of how they treated other people and because of their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. But Jesus didn't want to be that way towards the Pharisees, but he had to call them out for their hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Right. And the, the other thing I wanted to mention in, in these first two parables, as you said, they are simple and pretty straightforward both times it's emphasized that there is a celebration that's take that takes place. Um, there's a celebration yeah. that takes place for the shepherd. There's a celebration that takes place with the woman, but then that celebration 
you know, the woman shares it with her neighbors. There's a big celebration there celebrating that she had found the coin. But that celebration is just a picture of what is taking place in heaven. Jesus emphasizes that when one sinner comes to repentance, and my pastor loves to share this every time someone's baptized, you know, they come out of the water and um, we're celebrating with them. And he goes, all of heaven is rejoicing with you right now. And it's true. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus shares in Luke 15 in both parables, talking about the joy in the presence of the angels, uh, the joy in the presence of God over one sinner that comes to repentance. Yeah, and it's interesting that he ends both parables with that with that exact phrasing, over one sinner who repents. It's again, it's not about the number. It's it's not about um, you know how many people. It's about the individual. It's about the one person who does repent. All right, so we've covered those two, and we might come back to them. But uh, now let's dig into the the prodigal son or the lost son or the two sons, the final parable that he shares in Luke 15. Yeah, I mean, uh, in this one, as I said earlier, I think that Jesus uses the first two parables to set up this one. And if you look at this parable, it's, you know, we've read it so many times, uh, we don't even think about it to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've heard it preached on in church. We've heard it. We've read about it in books. We've heard it in, on podcasts. You know, we've, we, we, we've broken this parable down so many different ways that it's, it's hard to imagine that there's another way to break it down. But the reality is that again, to fully appreciate this parable, you have to look at it in context and you have to envision how it would have been received by Jesus's audience. That is so important when we read the Gospels. It's so important when we read all the books of the Bible, how it would have been perceived by that particular audience in that particular time. I firmly believe the Bible is is timeless. It applies to all of us in any time, at any in any place. However, he was speaking this to a specific audience, and he was speaking this to a specific group of people. And so when you look at this, he, he starts off by, by telling the story of, of the lost son, this, this rebellious son who asked for his inheritance. And, and the Wait, interesting thing sorry, about this— Sorry, Mark, before you dig into that, uh, you alluded to the fact that he's speaking to a certain audience. So what the, what's right. the audience made up of? It's the tax collectors and sinners. Those are there. They're, they said that they're near Jesus. That's at the beginning of Luke 15. But then also there are Pharisees and scribes that are there, present, and they're upset with these sinners right. that are coming close to Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I meant at the beginning when I said you the, the, the beginning of the chapter really sets up these three parables because the, the, the tax collectors and sinners are sitting there listening to Jesus, and it says that they're enjoying listening to him. They love listening to him. And then you have the curmudgeons. <laughs> then you have the religious elite who start to come in and who start to berate and grumble and complain. And Jesus, it specifically says Jesus begins to talk to them. Mm. And so really the Pharisees are the audience here. And that's why, that's why it's so important to understand that the first two set up the third one. 
and and we'll get to that more in 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 a couple minutes but he starts off with the, with the, with the rebellious son and talks about how he uh he asked for his inheritance and what you have to understand is at that time that was essentially him requesting that his father would just die already right that's essentially what he was saying the inheritance was given after the passing of of the patriarch it was given after the passing of the father and so for him to ask for his inheritance before his father has even passed away is one of the most disrespectful things that he could have done Right. And and you have to realize these details because Jesus is setting up these details for a specific reason. This this is this is the thing with parables that I think a lot of people miss. We tend to just gloss over them in the Bible. Jesus doesn't give details just haphazardly. He gives them for a reason. He's he's setting things up for a specific reason. He's showing the Pharisees and the other listeners how rebellious and how horrible this son is. I, I and think, so, I think also it needs to be. So you've already mentioned that asking for his inheritance was basically saying that he wished that his father was dead. But also, it's not like it is today that uh, an right. inheritance could be in the bank. It's not like he's asking for cash right. that's in the bank or gold that's in some sort of bank that this father can give him. But literally what would have had to happen, if this was a factual story, which obviously it's a parable, it's, it, it, but if this actually did take place, the father would have had to sell things off. He would have had to sell off yeah. portions of his property, portions of um, the livestock that he had, whatever it is, he would have to sell off the portion in order to pay off this inheritance to uh, this rebellious son. So, yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic point. And so you're, you're not only seeing the rebellion of the son, but you're seeing the grace and the mercy and the love of the father, right? You're, you're seeing just this overwhelming, I mean, most fathers, and I dare even say my father, whom I love very, very much, might just smack you in the face and tell you to go away. I mean, I mean, my, and my father is a very, very giving person. Don't get me wrong, but this was an extremely disrespectful thing to do. Mm-hmm. And the father's response tells you all you need to know about the father. He just gives him the inheritance and he lets him go his way. And, and the Bible says that, that he wastes his living with riotous or he lace, wastes the entire inheritance with parties is Mm. basically what it comes down to and think about this the father has saved up his entire life for this this is his entire life's work and it's wasted in parties Mm. so he has taken half of his life's work as you said dissolved it given it to his son and his son wastes it on parties. And again, this is just a, just a perfect encapsulation of human nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's setting this up. He's showing the rebellious son as lost humanity. That's who the rebellious son is. It's right. all of us who have taken the grace and the mercy of God. It, it starts with Adam in the Garden of Eden was given the most perfect gift you could ever be given. And what does he do? He wastes it because he wants some fruit from a tree. 
How many times we see in the story of Jacob and Esau, Esau throws away his, his, either his blessing or his birthright. I think it's his Both. birthright for a bowl oh, birthright, of, yeah, yeah you're right. birthright. You're for, right. For a bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. And, and we, it's, it's just a perfect encapsulation of, of human nature. We take the greatness of God. We take his grace. We take his mercy. We take his love. We take everything that he has given to us and we waste it and we throw it away. And that's Jesus's point here. That's what the rebellious son does. And then the Bible says that he begins to be in want and he actually finds himself in a pig pen. Mm. Now, this is where you might have heard the first gasp from the Pharisees. Okay. Because pigs were or probably the second gasp after <laughs> after the 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 father gives the son. Actually the gives him the money. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would have been unheard of. But then the son, this royal son, this rich son, the son who had a silver spoon put in his mouth. He had everything you could ever want, and he ends up in a pig pen. Hmm. And pigs, as as probably most of our listeners know, were unclean to Jews, okay? And so this wasn't just he's sitting in some slop, okay? This was in a... This was the highest of the high becoming the lowest of the low. Okay. This, this was, this was a guy who had it all and now has absolutely nothing Mm. and is now ceremonially, ceremonially and ritually unclean. Mm. I mean, he, he is an outcast and a fugitive at this point. And Jesus does this on purpose. He's painting this picture on purpose because he wants us to see through this story where we are and, and, and who we are and our need for the love and the compassion of the Father. I love how you're drawing this parallel because I'm not sure I've ever heard it taught from the perspective of it representing lost humanity. It seems to always represent a backslidden son or daughter. You know, yeah. they've walked away from God. But yeah, I mean, you could also say that this is someone who's walked away from God, as in we've all walked away from God. All of humanity yeah. has walked away from God, uh, walked away from His grace and His mercy. I, I love that uh, point that you're bringing out. Yes, you can use it as an example of um, the father loving and caring for someone who, you know, is backslidden, your backslidden son, your backslidden yeah. daughter. But it can also apply to us. So we don't we're, we don't put ourselves uh, automatically in the category of the elder son, right? We don't automatically... Yeah. You know, I, I haven't backslid, so I'm not a prodigal son. But in reality, we're all prodigal sons. Yeah, absolutely. And and you have to realize that at this point, there is no church. There There is no salvation as of this point um, outside of the law and obeying the law. And so Jesus is telling this story because he's he's looking at these tax collectors and sinners and even the Pharisees and saying, whether you know it or not, this is you. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is what you need. You need my grace. You need my mercy. You need my love. And you just don't realize it yet. Mm-hmm. And so he draws this story out. And the turning point of the parable is when the product the, the Bible says the prodigal son comes to himself. 
and and he says basically <laughs> there are hired servants in my dad's house who are living better than I am right now and so he he says I'm just going to go back and I'm going to make myself like one of them because a lot of people don't really understand that that's probably the best he could have hoped for. The reality is that the father had every right to disown him, to kick him out, to not ever see him again. And he had every right within Jewish society to do that. Okay. And so Basically, when the prodigal son says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to beg just to be a hired servant, that's literally what he meant. He, he had no idea. He, had, he could have not seen, could have not possibly seen that coming. The best he was hoping for was just to be a hired servant in his dad's house again. Yeah, and you just have to look at where he's currently at, you know, when he comes to himself. Yeah. When he's in the pig pen, he comes to himself. He's at the absolute lowest you could possibly get. I don't, is there any lower outside of a criminal? No. Would there be any lower that to, to a Pharisee than the position that he found himself in? I yeah, don't... and that's, that's the important thing right there, is to a Pharisee, there would have been basically nothing lower. Outside um, of criminality. And, yeah, outside of being a criminal. Um, but they know, probably would have viewed... They probably... Yeah, true. Yeah. They probably would have viewed him as a criminal, though. Like, if you think yep. about it, like he's stolen from his dad. He took Absolutely. the inheritance he would have and he been wasted an outlaw. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I 100% agree with that. I think that that's very true. I think they, the Pharisees in particular would have viewed him that way. Right. Um, tax collectors and sinners, having experienced the other side of life, <laughs> may not have viewed him that way. Um, but the Pharisees definitely would have. Um, and so we, we know, we basically know the rest of the story. He comes home. Uh, the Bible says that the, the father greets him. What, what I love the most, my favorite part of the prodigal son is when the father runs to embrace him Mm -hmm. because of what it tells me. We, we, I've always heard expressed. It's not because of the song. Cause then he <laughs> ran great, to me. That's a great me. song. Yeah, that's a great song. I love that song. Um, but I, I've always heard it stressed that the father ran to him, threw his arms around him, had compassion on him, and that's that's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. But what does that entail? What that entails to me is that the Bible says that the father sees him a great way off. The only way that he sees him a great way off is if he's looking for him. Mm. And this is where you have the connection with the first two parables to a degree. Okay. The, the, the shepherd goes and seeks for the lost sheep. The woman goes and searches for the lost coin. And here we have the father searching for the son. And, and I think probably what happened, there, there's no biblical proof of it, but I think probably what happened is that father went out every single day searching for the son, waiting for the son to come home. And it's, that's so powerful because that tells us how God views lost humanity. He is constantly searching. He's constantly seeking. This is another reason why I don't think it just applies to backsliders, as you were saying, is 
he's constantly searching and seeking for lost humanity. He's constantly looking for people who will come back home, who will come back to the, to the promise that he gives them, to the life that he gives them. And so th- that's probably my favorite part of, of this parable is it says that when he saw him a great way off, he was searching for that son. He was looking for him. He was waiting for him to come home. Yeah, he was scanning the horizons, waiting for uh, the son that rejected him, and you know, basically, yeah. yeah, rejected him. One basically wanted him dead, turned his back on him. He was just waiting for him to come to himself. Uh, just leapt at the leapt at the opportunity to greet him. He was searching for yeah. him, looking for him. Yeah, that's so good. And and it's a great picture of, again, when we're talking about lost humanity, we, we could even refer this to Israel because, again, he's talking to Pharisees and scribes you know, mm-hmm. how in the Old Testament over and over again, you know, you had God just waiting, waiting for Israel to come back, waiting for Israel to repent, waiting for yep. Israel to turn their hearts back to him. And then he would restore and he would uh, accomplish a work in them and through them. God's always waiting. He's always searching. Yeah. He's always looking. And uh, th- yeah. th- these three parables are a perfect example that nobody's too far gone. Nobody has committed uh, a sin too deep that God is not looking for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that really, it shines through in the first two, but it really shines through in the third one, in the last one. and And just the the absolute mercy, the absolute abundant mercy. The Bible refers over and over again to God's abundant mercy. He He's full of loving kindness. He's full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of compassion. And that bleeds through in this story. This is, this is Jesus saying, this is what God looks like. This is what God looks like. This is who God is. And, and, and that would have been mm. so relevant to his audience because the tax collectors and the sinners what they were looking for was god when people search in drugs when they search in alcohol when they search in in in, uh premarital sex when they when they search in all of these things violence even when they search all these things what they're really trying to do is find jesus they're looking for something to fill that void. They're looking for something to fill that hole. And and so it's just a beautiful picture that, that really just kind of overwhelms me. Jesus is sitting here looking at these tax collectors and sinners, basically saying, this is what God is like. This is what your heavenly father is like. This is what he wants to do for you. Mm. And, and this is why Jesus's words were so powerful. Because they hit home to his audience, and they 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 hit them directly where they were sitting, and where and it's that's a, so powerful. Where it's applying to them, where it's applying to the tax collectors and sinners in such a positive way, it's also mm-hmm. telling the Pharisees and the scribes, the people who s- should know God the best, the people yes. who in society should know God the best. They're the ones that have studied the Torah. They're the ones that have spent their life following the law, following all of these things. And Jesus is basically telling them, you don't know God at all. Yeah. You don't know him at all <laughs> because you're yeah. expecting him to bring judgment. You're expecting him to uh, reject this 
this son who has gone away. That's what they would have been expecting him to do because this is God. You know, he's, he's our judge. And yet Jesus is saying, this is what you think God is, but that's not what God is like at all. They were expecting the father to bring the hammer down on the son at, at any point. That's what they were waiting for. And Jesus completely shatters their entire worldview. And he did it repeatedly throughout his ministry. This is what you think God is like, and this is what he is actually like. Hmm. And, and, and so we have to understand, and, and I, I'll, I kind of transition it, because this is where we're introduced to the older brother. We look at the older brother, and we see someone who is, you know, we think of as like a terrible person. He's a horrible person. Why would he not welcome his brother home? Wait, before we dive into that, just to wrap up what happens with the son. So we we talked about him embracing him. I just wanted to mention this really quick as well. So not only did he embrace him, but then he says, they say that he, you know, puts the robe around um, the the son who left. He puts the robe around mm-hmm. his shoulders. He puts the family signet ring back on his hand and restores him. So he's, he's he has come yeah. home. The father has greeted him, but he's not going to be a servant as he expected. But no, he's going to be the son. He's He's been restored and brought back into his rightful place. Not only that. Not only does restoration take place, but then just like in the parable of the lost sheep, just like in the parable of the lost coin, the father rejoices and wants to party. He goes, let's go take care of the fatted calf. Let's slay that sucker. Let's get in here and let's have some good food and let's party because my son's come home, you know? And um, I I, I don't want to go too far with this, but I know... Uh, Brother Hoffman talks about the fatted calf. He he always highlights that when he tells this story, and uh, and basically what a fatted calf was is it was one of the cows or whatever that would be set aside, and they would fatten that cow up specifically for a big party, and uh, yep. and uh, I think Brother Hoffman kind of takes his liberty when he says you know the day that the son left, uh, the, the the father you know, set this cow aside and, and raised him up. And one day my son's going to come home. Uh, it's a powerful illustration. And who knows? I can't say that he's wrong. He, he could be 100% he, correct. He, he may have because he was searching for him. Amen. So, but uh, he, he says, kill the fatted calf, not just a fatted calf, but the, there's a specific cow that he's referring to. And they, mm. they bring it in and they start partying and celebrating. I wanted to touch on that before we moved on to the yeah. uh, older yeah. son. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, so like you said, that they, they begin to throw a party, and you know, here comes the older brother, and we all know people like this, right? If we're honest, the people who come in and kind of crash the party or refuse to go into the party, but but as I was saying, it, it would be so easy for us to look at the older brother and say, you know, what a terrible human being! How could you not welcome your brother? But in reality outside of the grace and the mercy of God, he has some points. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he has a fair argument and, and he, he basically says, I've, I didn't go away and waste my inheritance. I stayed here. I worked and I've been working all of my life up to this point. 
I've earned everything that I've gotten. And then as soon as, and, and here's the key, he says, this son of yours. Mm. That's very specific wording. He doesn't refer to him as his brother. Okay. He doesn't say my brothers come home. He says this son of yours, essentially separating himself. And, and this is one of the phrases that makes me know for a fact that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees at this point. And he's, he might even have been pointing at them and, and looking in their direction because basically what he's saying is this is how you are. This is your attitude. And so, like I said, it, it's kind of hard to fault the older brother when you look at the story and look at everything that has happened. But that would be to completely miss Jesus's point. Jesus's point is not, oh, he's done all this stuff wrong and you've done all this stuff right. So therefore, um, I'm going to treat you better than I treat him. Jesus is saying, you've completely missed the point. This, this isn't about you. This isn't about your little kingdom and your little inheritance. This is about the lost son who came home. This mm -hmm. is about the person who walked into church, was filled with the Holy Ghost, was baptized in Jesus' name, and you're sitting over here grumbling because they're blessed and you're not. Mm. And so we, we, we sit here and we tend to look at this and, and, and we tend to try to point the finger. But basically Jesus is saying anyone who has the older brother's attitude is missing the point. You've completely missed the point of redemption. This mm. isn't about you. This isn't about the work that you've put in. This is about the fact that this son of mine was lost and now he's found. He left home. He was a disgrace. He ended up in a pig pen. He lived the worst possible life you could live up to that point. But now he's come home and now it's time to celebrate. And, and, and that is the whole point here. If, if you're sitting in church and when somebody who's lost or even when a backslider comes back and, and well, I know what they did and I know the life that they live. No, no you've missed the point. You, you better be very, very careful because you're approaching older brother territory. Hmm. Okay. The whole point of the story, the whole point that of the party, I should say, is that the son was lost and is found. Right. And, and that's worth celebrating. Right. No, ma no matter what he did before that, no matter what he did up until that point, that is worth celebrating. And that's exactly, Jesus is essentially, remember, he's talking to tax collectors and sinners, and he's talking to Pharisees. And basically what he's saying is, one of you is one way, and the other of you is the other way, mm -hmm. and I will let you fill in the gaps. Right. And I will let you decide who is who. And, and, and basically, there's no satisfactory end to the story. Mm. It basically ends with the older brother mad and refusing to go into the party. And that is done on purpose because what he's doing is he's saying, this is, there, there are two options here. You can either be like the father or you can be like the older brother. One of them reflects God. One of them does not reflect God. And it's your choice what attitude you adopt. Yeah, I think also there, there's a couple, uh, I love that, but uh, also there's a couple other points there that there's room at the party for the elder brother. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Like, he could be having fun. He could be in there celebrating with, with the rest of the family, with the rest of, of the household. There's room at the party for the elder brother. Also, And, and that's what his father wanted. That's what exactly. his dad wanted. Exactly. Yeah, that It goes to um, God's desire for unity. It goes to uh, God's desire for brotherly love, loving one another. Yeah. Um, no matter if you've been in church for 20 years and, and this person's backslid and come back, you should celebrate. There, there's a couple other points I wanted to point out. The father mentions when he's talking to the elder son, he goes, hey, none of this changes that everything that I have is yours. Right. <laughs> All That's... that I have is yours. <laughs> He's not taking away anything from you. Everything right. that I have is still yours. The Pharisees, every, they, they still have everything. As long as they uh, accepted the message of Jesus and came to a relationship, yeah. like a, a, a deeper relationship with God, everything that the father had, they still had. All the promises that were given to Israel, all the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they still applied to the Pharisees. They still applied to the scribes that were there on that day. And yet they're sitting yeah. outside with their arms crossed as these you know, tax collectors and these sinners are coming to the knowledge of God and coming to a relationship with him. The other thing I want to point out, and this is, I can't take credit for this, but I forget where I heard it, but someone else uh, wiser than me made this statement that yes you worked with the father yes you were in the field the, the the whole time but you also have the stories and i think that's so powerful that those yeah. of you who you know came to god and stayed never left and you you yeah. stayed in the church and you were in the church for 10 15 20 years and you helped build up a church, and then someone, some Johnny-come-lately comes in, and, and they're uh, blessed, and, and they're elevated, and they're preaching, or someone uh, who walks away from God and then comes back, and they're celebrated, and, and the whole congregation loves them and is celebrating them. What they don't have and what you have is 10, 15, 20 years worth of stories of working in the kingdom of God, of helping build the church, of working with God, of building your relationship with God. The, the younger son will never get that back. As much as the father is able to restore him, he's able to restore him back to the status of sonship, but he's not going to get that time back. It's just, yeah. it's just it can't happen. And that's yeah. something that the, the elder son completely missed. Yeah, I've, you've been here the whole time. Praise God. You've been able to be with the father yeah. this whole time. His attitude is, well, I've been here the whole time. Well, if you've been there the whole time, how, this is the point that I, this is another point I kind of want to draw out, but um, for, for a minute or two, how could two brothers related to the same father have no clue what their father is really all about? Mm. think about that the younger son says I just want to come back and I want to be a hired servant he obviously did not understand the grace and the compassion and the mercy and the love that the father had and that is is a point that I, I think we need to see is that that, that, that we don't always see how good God is to us. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, maybe that's why, maybe that's why the younger son walked away. Maybe that's why he left because he didn't fully understand. I'm sure that was part of it. He didn't fully understand the love of the father. Mm. And then on the other side, you have the older son who doesn't know the father either. He doesn't, if you've lived with him, if you've worked with him your entire life, you should know his character. You should know his love. You should know his compassion. You should know how he feels about people. And, Mm. and, And this is why we sit back. I like your point about they basically, the Pharisees sat back and crossed their arms and said, you know, and started grumbling. Well, you know, I know what they did and I, and and this person's this way and, and blah, 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 blah. You, you've missed the point, the the whole point, you've missed the whole attitude of the father. And I want to look at people and I would say, you've been in church for 30 years and you still don't understand what God is about. You still don't see God. And, and, and that's what these fair, that's what Jesus was saying to these Pharisees. That's exactly what I saying to them. Like you said earlier, you've studied the law. You know the scripture. You can quote the entire Old Testament, but you don't know who God is. Mm. You don't know his character. You don't know his makeup. You don't know how he feels about people and the relationship that he wants to have with people. And it's just incredible. They, they sit back, they cross their arms, they get upset. And you know why they crossed their arms and got upset? Because the tax collectors and the sinners weren't following their way. They weren't following their method. And that's exactly why the older brother got upset. The younger son didn't do what he thought he should do. Well, none of that matters because the father has the ultimate say. He has the final say. Jesus talks about this in other places as well. I think it's another parable he talks about where he says, uh, that there are people who came in. He talks about the day laborers, the people who came in, they worked at the beginning of the day. And then the people who came at the end of the day got the exact same treatment. Well, we look at that and say, well, that's not fair. Well, of course it's fair. And, and Jesus explains why it's fair because God has every right to decide what he wants to do with his gifts, with his callings, with, with his kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's his, it belongs to him. So he has every right to say what's fair and what's not fair. And, and that's, that's exactly what's going on with this parable of the prodigal son. He, he's basically saying God has this radical view of love. Mm. And the older brother, as long as he lived with him, never caught that. That is stunning to me. I, I love that. And I think that really wraps this up nicely because it displays God's character and dis- displays his priority and and his priority is people like people are his priority he loves people he cares about people he died for people he came to this earth for people yeah and he's not willing that any would perish he's not willing that any and when he says any he means any like (laughs) exactly what i know we try to qualify it's like yeah anybody but you know Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. No, even her, right? You know, God <laughs> cares about, he's not willing that any. So it doesn't matter if you don't like them. It doesn't matter if they rub you the wrong way. It doesn't matter if uh, they're confused about their politics or they're confused about their gender or they hate Christ or they hate the church. God still loves those people and he doesn't yep. want them to perish. And so, and, and God has really been working on me over the last year when it comes to these sorts of things, it's like, it's not, 
It's not our job to do anything but show the love of God. It's our job to show the love of God, to make it possible that the Son can come home, to make it possible that the uh, that we can go out and get the lost sheep and get the lost coin. And then on top of that, uh, you've got the love of the Father, but then you also have the celebration that always takes place. Every time a sinner comes back to repentance, there's a celebration that takes place because it's not just God that feels this way, but it's all of heaven that feels this yeah. way. All of heaven. And it's how all of us should feel. Exactly. Yeah. There should be a celebration anytime anytime someone responds to the gospel and for the most part we are that way definitely we are that way um absolutely but there can be times where we'll allow some of this stuff to creep in and we can't allow that we need to do our best to view it the way that our heavenly father would view it and his view is that anybody who comes to a place of repentance that's worth celebrating that's worth celebrating Hmm. The, the fact of the matter is it's not my kingdom it's not your kingdom it's not my inheritance it's not your inheritance it belongs to the father it belongs to god and it's his right to divvy it out as he sees fit well i hope you guys got something out of our conversation here today i know i uh, really enjoyed it and I, and I got something out of them leaving this conversation more inspired and, and wanting to uh, dig deeper in the word of god and, and learn more about you know what i might be overlooking or might just be skimming over because it's something that I've read, you know, dozens and dozens of times. But uh, yeah, if, if you have enjoyed this, share it with a friend, follow us where, wherever you can on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're on YouTube, a bunch of other platforms. But uh, thank you for staying connected, for following the podcast. We hope to continue to bring this to you. And yeah, hope you have a, a great day. God bless.